thing, you know, we're in the business of going fast and so are the teams and, um, you know, they, they push it to the absolute limits and sometimes over it and that, that's what happens. And the full credit to Shane, you know, he just, just merged into the, into the family as if he'd been there all along. I was embarrassed for that race to restart in Tasmania. Dumb shit like that, that just isn't acceptable. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. And welcome to Inside Supercars, Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock. Another big week in motorsport again, Craig, this week. Yes, and whenever a brand new racetrack opens, it makes for a very interesting time. We don't do that too often. I know Shane Rogers uh, mentioned on his uh, Facebook or Twitter, one of those social media posts, what's everyone getting excited about? Uh, It's like they haven't seen a new racetrack open in 20 years. Um, a lot of people didn't understand the humour. <laughs> anyway, um, it, it was great to be there. I was there only on the Sunday, so I missed the uh, dust storm of Saturday. But um, the other big news this week, first one was uh, that came along was the Archer news about them, uh, well, their impending departure from supercars and the imminent sale because uh, they're leaving. Um, it's been mooted for some three, four, five years. Is that right, Craig? I think it is more a winding down and they're not going out for more um, equity injections. Now, we all remember that the series was very much for sale last year and then as uh, I think you had Tim Miles on the show at the time talking about some of the reasons why it didn't go ahead and it was purely because the prices came in a lot lower than what everyone expected and uh, now, well, it's it's not going to be a fire sale. They've got to get the biggest return that they can possibly find, and Supercars is in a healthier position than it was certainly five or six years ago. But uh, a lot of people are still going to be up in the air. Will the teams think it's now it's time to buy it back because potentially it could be a fire sale? Yeah, indeed. And, of course, there's been another change in the landscape of television, that being that the cricket has recently been announced with a large amount of that uh, broadcast to be done on pay TV, which was not the case prior. It was all on free-to-air. And, of course, that's a large part of where there's been uh, income for the teams coming from a Foxtel uh, broadcast of majority of the uh, airtime of the races, while the anti-siphoning rules make sure that we see the big ones, Grand Prix and Bathursts, on free-to-air. The rest of the year is largely taken up by Foxtel, so that's going to uh, be an interesting to see the development of that. The other, the biggest news, I suppose, in recent times, um, we had uh, last year where Holden had uh, cemented their place in the sport ongoing with the ZB uh, released the new road car and now the new race car with Triple Eight doing their major homologation. Recently, the part of that news was, of course, the parking of the uh, uh, turbocharged, twin turbocharged V6. And now we hear that uh, today Ford announced that uh, the Mustang will be back on track in Australia, back on track as the official... Ford backed, while be it uh, not maybe with the large backing they've done in the past in Australia for the Falcon, both the uh, uh, teams of uh, DJR Team Penske and the Tickford Racing teams will be racing Mustangs in 2019, which is fantastic news. I mean, uh, I think Roland Roland's almost got his wish. <laughs> he'd, he'd made suggestions that uh, they, Ford needed to get get moving and Tickford should do something about it. But you know, so be it. So that's going to happen now. So that's terrific news. So well, it's a good new, that the 14th Steve. exclusive story has finally come into fruition. I must admit I have been uh, underwhelmed with the way that the uh, Mustang has been reported every three or four months as exclusively coming back to... Uh, supercars or coming into supercars racing. So Fogues, who was the eventual breaker of the story, or credit to him, and uh, Auto Action for running it at the right time. Yeah, indeed. And, and of course, the, the most interesting thing is that it'll be the first of the two-door cars in, uh, in an Australian touring car racing. 
since the time of probably the RX-7 would be the last time, or maybe no, the Mustang, when the uh, in the days of Group C, would it have been, or Group yeah, A? No, the, Group A. The RX-7 was a two-door. Yeah, yeah, yeah it would so be the last time a two-door raced. There is talk that it might even run the V6, uh, the six-cylinder configuration, Um I, di- I didn't see that in the official announcement, but there was talk that it might be a six-cylinder. Hot on the heels of Holden's announcement that they're not going to pursue the six-cylinder at the moment. Well, it would seem that majority of Australians are, are saying, give us a V8, we don't want any V6s. So we'll wait and see. Obviously, that's a large uh, thing to be done in the future. Um, it, it would appear that uh, unlike the Holden, which was the exclusive domain of Triple Eight in its homologation. This will be a joint venture between Tickford Racing and DJR Team Penske. So uh, I think that's going to be a major benefit to have the two teams working together, collaborating. Uh, It's great news um, for the sport. Uh, The fact that two manufacturers will be going, continuing to going. And at this stage, of course, Nissan is still in there with Kelly Racing. Uh, This is the last year at this stage, I understand, of their current contract. Um, so it's then up to them to make a decision about what they're going to do in the future. So plenty of things happening. Uh, we've had some interesting conversations. I had a couple over the weekend, um, which you'll hear later in this broadcast. Uh, we had a great conversation with Tim Blanchard, and that will be coming up after the break. Uh, so Tim Blanchard talking about supercars, his background, where he's come from, where his family's come from. Uh, and a rather interesting story about the whole uh, way in which his grandfather has led him and the team into the cool drive motorsport. So after the break, it's Tim Blanchard. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, Through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two lovers to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Welcome to Inside Supercars. We're fortunate today to be joined by the Cool Drive Driver of the Year, that being Tim Blanchard, BJR's Driver of Car... Oh, gosh, I can't remember. Is it number three? 21. 21, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't remember who number three is nowadays, but anyway, 21. Uh, Tim, you're you're, uh, starting this year with uh, not a brand new chassis, but a new body on your uh, last year's car, Uh, ZB over a uh, a current uh, state of the uh, nation uh, car. Uh, How is it? Uh, Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty good. So obviously uh, we had scheduled to start the year with a new car, but after... uh, Incident at Sandown last year, we had to bring forward the new car to uh, Bathurst last year, so it's still a pretty, pretty much a, a new car. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it hasn't been as big a change as some people are saying. I don't think, uh, you know, same characteristics as we had with the VFs in the, in the ZB, but yeah, there's probably a few, few little areas that, uh, slight improvements, and, uh, I think the results for the, for the car have been pretty good so far. You must be encouraged by the fact that you're going to an, uh, to uh, back to the island where you did test earlier this year. Uh, yeah, so both my, my teammates did their shakedowns for, the, for their new oh, cars I it was, before it was Adelaide. Right. Yeah, so it was their, their shakedown for the new, new chassis before Adelaide. So, yeah, we did manage to do a few laps there and uh, hopefully that will give us a bit of a basis or a bit of an understanding of what's ahead this weekend. The other big news, of course, for you is that it's just been announced that Dale Wood returns to the team, he being a driver of a couple of years at BJR. You must be encouraged by that because he's certainly a capable driver and uh, has good credentials. Yeah, absolutely. I worked worked with Dale a little bit when we were both at uh, Dick Johnson Racing in 2013. He did a really good job with alongside Chaz and the endurance races there. And uh, since then, he spent two years at BJR in, as a full-time and then another, I think he's asked did four full-time seasons, so he's got a lot of experience in the last work with him, so I can only imagine he's going to be even better again. So um, I'm really looking forward to it, and working with someone who's got a lot of main game experience, and, and especially recently, 
is a big advantage come endurance races. One of the big things that someone like Dale brings, of course, is, is experience, but also that attitude in that he's not trying to earn a ride back in supercars. He's, it's almost like he sort of said, I've, I've had this, I've done it, now he's driving in Carrera Cup and being successful, sitting second in the points there. So it's, it's, you're not sort of almost having to compete against him for your seat, are you? Yeah, exactly. I think he's he's pretty happy with where he is, and he's uh, you know I guess once you kind of be in main game for a few years, you kind of the mindset and the way you go racing changes a lot. So I think he's a lot more relaxed and he's a lot more enjoying his racing a lot more. And I think that that will show come the endurance races when when the pressure's on, he's he's more than capable to step up. Tim, what I've been interested in lately is you've got a full time job and you're mixing that with racing. Obviously, Paul Dumbrell did it for a number of years. Dale always did that. He always had his business and uh, and his racing. And we're seeing even now Scott Pye, who has been a professional driver, but now has said, for my sanity, I need something else full-time to be able to, um, to, be able to perform better. Do you notice uh, a change in the way drivers and your other drivers are thinking towards racing and lifestyle or even racing and career? Uh, I think think it, it changes for for everyone and it's I think it's a thing in sport in general. You know, athletes are finding when they get to the end of their careers that they haven't really got much left to do. So, you know, I think it's really important to for any athlete to have interest or you know, skills outside the sport for when, when their career eventually comes to an end, whether that be you know, five years down the track or ten years down the track, you need to be prepared for that next stage of your life. And I think it's something not just in motorsport, but all sports. And you look at what they do in AFL in terms of working with careers counsellors and things like that to prepare them for the next stage. And I think what people like Scott are, are doing, it's, it's it's a very very smart smart thing. And the challenge is obviously to make sure it doesn't affect your racing. Though. That, that's that's the hard bit. Which, it's not, not as easy as, as it sounds. How do you balance it? Uh, yeah, it's, it's challenging. And, uh, you know, I'm still kind of perfecting it. And I've probably got, I think I'm getting better at it. But uh, it, it is quite quite a challenging thing. And uh, I guess, you know, for me, it's about making sure that you switch off and you have a clear, clear, distinguish, like clearly distinguish between racing and, and work time. So, and the people that you're working with, uh, they need to understand that as well. That's that's really important, so that they know on a Friday or you know when you're away racing that just to let you get on with your racing and and unless it's emergency, wait wait till Monday before bringing up things like that. So, and you also own your license, so you've got a pressure around the responsibilities with that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, another little side side business, I guess, but. Uh, it doesn't create too much extra workload for me, to be honest. Uh, from a, I guess, a paperwork point of view, I've got a few extra forms to fill out. But you know, we've got a great agreement with Brad Jones and and his team, and uh, they kind of look after the day to day running of the team. So I'm, you know, Cool Drive's obviously there as a sponsor, and you know, cause they've got a separate agreement with BJR as a sponsor, and I've got an agreement with BJR as a and as a driver, and uh, so they're, they're all kind of separate and. Apart from having a little bit of paperwork to fill out every now and then, you know, Brad takes care of the day-to-day running of the team, which is well, how it needs to be for me while I'm driving. But Brad Jones Racing is probably one of the most different teams in pit lane. Um, while it you know, being based in Albury is a starting point, but it's different to that again. I mean, while it's a family team with both uh, Macaulay and also Andrew working in there, it's also different in that... They're almost some of the most serious races in the paddock, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you know, this this weekend at Phillip Island, they celebrate their two hundred and fiftieth event, and it's uh, in, in supercars. But you know, you've got to remember they were racing Oscar, NASCAR, Super Touring for fifteen, twenty plus years before that as well. So they've been around the sport for a long time. There's not many people that can can say that. You know, Dick Johnson's probably one of the only other ones that have been involved in top level motorsport Australia for that period of time. And uh, you know, and and the reason they're there is because they're not necessarily there as business people, they're there as racers. They're true passionate racers and they are they just want to go racing every weekend and and uh, try and win the race. That's, that's their main I, priority. I saw them 
when uh, they were in competing in Super Touring and I was writing about it and covering it for Race Facts. And I actually went to Oscar and NASCAR races to watch them at work. And I saw them and I saw that... Uh, that uh, competitiveness and that desire to make sure, for instance, in one particular race, in a NASCAR race, where they uh, Brad pitted on six consecutive laps not to go down a lap. They do repairs and get back out again. And I watched Kim and, and the other guys working on the car, and, and that's something that there aren't many teams out there that have such dedication, diligence, and don't give up. They just never give up. And that's something that must be very endearing to someone like yourself. I mean, you're a third-generation racer. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's it's always good, you know, no matter what what happens, especially you know, on the race day in the middle of the race, you know, things can go wrong. And, you know, someone like Brady just never gives up. He's always kind of thinking, right, well, you know, this has gone wrong. How do, what can we do with the strategy to get us back in the race? He's always kind of thinking and always trying to, find a way to, to improve the performance of the car drivers and, and the team. And that's what's, you know, what I enjoy about PJR is that, you know, it's if you come up with a theory that you can improve the car or the team with, you know, the performance, then, you know, Brad will do everything he can to try and make it happen, you know, and that's that's not necessarily true in all teams. And that's I think that's the, the reason this PJR has been around so long is that they, they're just there to race there not trying to make a twenty dollars out of it they're just there to go racing yeah. and yeah it's their business yeah exactly and of course the blanchards hold a unique position in australian motorsport because you're the only father and son team to have won the national formula four championship is that correct uh yeah i guess yeah well that's his second in the championship but he won the formula ford festival uh australian oh, okay. ford festival three years ago so yep that's um, pretty conclusive yeah yeah so he finished second in the formula ford championship twice but uh, yeah, we've got, we've got a pretty long history in, in uh, Formula Ford in Australia and uh, it was pretty cool to get, get the Blanchard name on this trophy in 2007 when I won it and, yep. and uh, head off to Europe and continue racing Formula Ford over there. You occasionally get into what was your father's championship car. Um, tell me, uh, when was the last time you drove it? Uh, yeah, it's been, been a few years. So oh, is it really? Oh, it's, it was, yeah, it's about... No, it was about two two years ago. I drove it at a test day earlier this year, but uh, I haven't raced it for two years because he's decided uh, decided <laughs> two years ago he'd get back into racing. So he's jumped back into the driver's seat, and I've lost my drive. So yeah, who would have thought I'd lose my dri- driving historic from before before supercars? <laughs> so. What's driving and what's racing at that top level mean to you? You could choose a lot of different types of cars to race. It's <laughs> It's not. Uh, it's not as if you don't. Uh, it's not as if you have to mm. be there. So why mm. are you there? What What's the driving force? Um, well, there's there's a number of different different reasons. But from a personal point of view, you know, I feel like I've been successful in all the junior ranks. You know, one Australian Formula Ford, second in Dunlop Series, my first year, and you know, second in British Formula Ford. So I feel like I've kind of accomplished all in the junior ranks. And for me, you know, I want to race against the best best people i'm not interested in necessarily going out and winning races just for the start so i want to go out and win a race against the best drivers in the country and in the world so you know if i get a really good result i want to go home knowing that it's you know racing against people like craig lounds and jamie winkup and got that result against those sort of people so for me it's about the competition and the long races and having the strategy to think about and managing your entire life and you know the best thing about supercars is you can come out of the pits behind someone you know, 25 laps later and still be glued to their rear bar. You just, it's 25 laps, just try and work out how to get past that guy. It's, just, it's the competition you don't get any other level of motorsport, not only in Australia, but almost worldwide. And, of course, one of the things about your life is that your father went through the same thing with his father. <laughs> and, and you've been surrounded by racing cars, and particularly at work, where... I know I've been lucky enough to have attended a lunch uh, out there at uh, Cool Drive where your grandfather has the Victorian, um, what is it, Vintage and Veteran? No, it's... Historic Car Club, yep. Um, Historic Car Club. Um, And has some amazing trophies as well as you've actually had Jack Brabham's uh, championship winning car there. Is that still there at the moment? Uh, No, we've actually, uh, that's been moved on to uh, another another premises, but... uh, yeah, so obviously, you know, our family's been heavily involved in the automotive industry and motorsport for a long period of time. So, had some spare office space here in the Victorian Racing 
historic racing registrar. We uh, run the Phil Ball and Classic and a few events like that. Um, use, use some spare office space we have here at work for, for their club rooms and their patron was to Jack Brabham. So we've actually got his one of his libraries here and a lot of his, his trophy collections and things like that. So it's a pretty pretty amazing display they've got here and uh and yeah we had for a number of years his bt 19 championship winning formula one car which was uh pretty good when you bring people into work and showing them around the office and it was a <laughs> call caught everyone's attention when you walk around the corner and there's a formula one car sitting there after the break there's more with tim blanchard each week join the inside motorsport team as they look at all the news from across australia and around the world this year in formula three i think is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that however i believe for myself uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as bs supercars in australia is where i see myself second crack at the australian times since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway city uh two weeks ago inside motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're talking with Tim Blanchard, Craig Ravel, Tony Whitlock on this week's show. And Tim was telling us about the history of Cool Drive and how it's involvement in motorsport, obviously involving his grandfather as well. Tim, tell us more. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, the, the history of uh, Cool Drive goes back well, it's four. We celebrated 40 years of Cool Drive last year. So business started in my grandfather's garage and you know, he was involved in the automotive air conditioning industry in the, in the 70s and started his own, own business and he's um, kind of grown from there. And seeing you know, air conditioning these, these days is, a, is still a big part, but it's also kind of guess a small part of our business. So we do a lot more than that now. We do a lot what an electrical and EFI and uh, yeah, all sorts of different things. So just a, I guess a general auto parts store now. So changed a lot and uh, been going very well. You're involved not only in automotive air conditioning, are you in home air conditioning as well, or am I wrong there? No, just just uh, automotive. So yeah, so just the automotive, uh, just the trade stuff. So sell so okay. to a local workshop. And you've had quite an apprenticeship uh, in the business and you work in marketing uh, for Cool Drive. I actually have been involved in some conversations where some of your fellow competitors work there, one of them being Dave Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, over the years I've had a, had a number of different different drivers work here in between races. Uh, Dave Reynolds had one of the more eventful uh, stints of working here in Cool Drive, uh, we could say. Uh, yeah, he... Um, yeah, he worked here over over one summer and didn't I guess enjoy it too much and ended up we ended up finding the sleep in the racking of the warehouse at one point which was uh, which has gone down to folklore here at work. So and that was probably pre planking. Yeah, yeah, a long time before that. But I think he was actually asleep, so I don't think he was doing prank or anything, he was just he was a because of sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and of course that was uh, because of your relationship with Sonic, who you spent many years with. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, Michael Ritter, who ran Sonic, runs Sonic Motorsport, he looked after my dad's former Ford in the uh, early 90s and before he started Sonic. And um, after his stint in the UK, he came back and started Sonic Motor Racing. He actually started in the back corner of uh, Cool Drive's offices and in wow. our warehouse here. And um, so, yeah, obviously known Michael and Maria Ritter for, for a long time and had a long association with them. Um, and uh, yeah, they obviously looked after me through Formula Ford and into Dunlop Series, and um, we've had you know even now we've still got a number of his Formula Ford drivers working here in the warehouse over summer and between races. Is it a community? Is it a reliable community drawing from the motor racing community? Uh, well, Dave Reynolds hasn't set a good uh, good example, but uh, we've had some had some that have been very good as well. So you know, we had. Uh, James Small work here for a while as well. He was, you know, Mark Winniebaum's engineer and now working in NASCAR. So he worked here for a number of years. He was a, a very good employee from all, all accounts. And, uh, but yeah, he kind of had a bit of both extremes through employing from motorsport. And what, what uh, apart from obviously the news about Dale, uh, Dale Wood joining you and the Enduros coming up, but long before then we've got a number of events, which of the next tracks are the ones that you look forward to? I mean, obviously Phillip Island would be something that is because it's a, a driver's track. 
Yeah, Philip Island's probably one of my f- favourite events of the year because I really enjoy the track. But uh, yeah, Darwin's probably probably the next one. Love going up to Darwin and uh, I enjoy the track and the events itself. Just amazing and always try and stay up there for a bit of a holiday afterwards. We did see a new qualifying system at Tassie. What were your thoughts on how that went from your perspective? And I, I was interested that if you go through all three sessions there, you do get quite a bit of track time across the uh, qualifying period. Yeah, I think it worked pretty well, to be honest. There's there's still a few little little quirks we need to iron out and a few little, but um, as people get their heads around it. But I think overall it, it's, it's much safer way to do it and gives, it's probably a fairer way of doing it because uh do get quite hairy the last few years you know when you've got 26 cars on a such a short lap all trying to do do their time and wait to the last minute of qualifying when the track's at its best it do get quite messy and you know i think we've been quite fortunate we haven't had any serious accidents in the last few years and i think it was only a matter of time so it was good that we kind of we're a bit proactive on that and made made a change before there was a serious accident. There was a comment made that um, uh, that was it bringing the uh, the uh, congestion of uh, qualifying into Friday. Now it would seem to me that that's a bit premature to say that because you've got such long sessions to use a green tyre on a Friday to do a time to get yourself in that top position. Uh, yeah, I think there's there's an element of that. Like, I think the track evolves, and uh, end of the session is probably still the best time to do it. So, yeah, so I think there is an element of truth to that. But um, I, I think the the traffic issue at the end of practice isn't as bad as qualifying because depending on what your your practice strategy is, some people will be running tyres a bit earlier, or you know, you can kind of spread it out a little bit more. So it's some people go early to make sure they get a clear track. So I don't think it was as bad as the last few minutes of qualifying in previous years. And, of course, we won't visit that again now until Barbagallo. No, no. So, uh, but, yeah, I think Barbagallo is a good it's a good place to do it as well because, you know, the last few years we've had seen a number of incidents over qualifying yeah. where someone's come over the crest of the hill full noise to someone in second gear warming their tyres up and had to take evasive action. And yeah. It's only a matter of time before... Someone comes over the hill and actually hits hits someone going almost stationary, and it's going to be quite serious. Would you like to see it expanded to mid-range tracks like your Winton Queensland Raceway? Uh, I don't think it's necessary. Um, I think the element of having everyone out there is is good, but yeah, it's just that's not always. You know, I think it's the traditional qualifying system is probably fairer, but yeah, I think from a safety perspective what we have at those shorter tracks is is probably better and it's, it's yeah, I guess you kind of a mix of both doesn't doesn't really hurt. Well, it's been wonderful talking to Tim Blanchard. Uh, we uh, wish him more luck and uh, continues his year with uh, BJR and the Cool Drive Car. Thank you so much for joining us, Tim, and we look forward to catching up uh, at Phillip Island and see how your sessions roll through there. Thank you. Thanks a lot. And after the break... Our final thoughts for this week's Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every every year I see Jackie Stewart at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Craig, final thoughts. But before we do that, I just should mention that my time at the weekend on Sunday was spent at Tail and Bend, the Bend as it's known, Motorsport Park, uh, an amazing uh, facility, a great track. They've got enormous amount of infrastructure built around it. It'll be a 100-room hotel, uh, plenty of different uh, go-kart tracks. Uh, there'll be drag strips, um, skid pans, the whole deal. It really is an amazing facility to be built in a very... Uh, out-of-the-way place. It's only an hour's drive from Adelaide, about five or six hours from Melbourne. Um, they had a bit of a, a disaster on uh, Saturday because there was a dust storm, uh, unseasonable uh, winds, 
which collaborated with the fact the lack of rain meant that the grass hadn't taken. They'd already planted seed three times. And uh, while they've laid down 21 kilometres of grass, that's <laughs> already grown grass that uh, planted down, they still need a lot more and uh, they'll be relying over the months ahead. Of course, in August, the supercars will go there, but we've got Garth Tander, Tony D'Alberto and a couple of others talking about the Ben Motorsport Park. Fortunate enough to have grabbed Garth minutes before the start of his GT race in the Audi. Um, I'm just wanting to talk to you about the track. Obviously, we had some dust problems yesterday, but what was it like? You've got some clear laps. Oh, on the full circuit, on the full 7.7, um, challenging, very, very challenging. Um, certainly the first sector and the last sector as part of the GP track are, are more conventional, but the run out the back, very, very different to anything I've driven on before. Uh, took a lot to learn, definitely took a lot to learn. I did as much, as much prep as you can in the lead up to coming here, but until you drive it, you, you, you got no idea. And I think the blind, the corner layout's okay, but there's a lot of blind crests and things like that. So knowing marshals are important. Yeah, that. But also from a car positioning point of view, I think you know they used the, pretty much the light system out the back, and that worked all right, as fine as you know regulatory stuff for lights and flags and all the rest. So you can see what you need to see. But just learning the track was a challenge. I thought it was a good. It's a good track. It's just a shame, like, with the dust and the wind that we had in qualifying, it was it was really, really quite dangerous. So Fortunate enough to get away with not having an accident. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think it was probably worse in the pro session than it was in the in the AM session. Um, so, and a lot of us sort of just sort of backed off, and it got better as the session went on. All, all the times were faster at the end, because basically there was less dust on the track and less wind, but, um, but we all got through it. Um, and, you know, I think it was probably the right decision to change for the race today. Uh, it's a shame because obviously there's a huge amount of work being put in here at this facility and it would have been nice to christen it with a race on the long track. But, um, you know, I think this is the right way to go. Right. Um, and obviously now you're racing on the track that you'll be racing on in August. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had some laps around. I didn't drive it. Mm-hmm. had some laps around. And there are challenging corners there, aren't there? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... It's um, the, the, the complex on the GP track that we're now using, which is the, the, like the triple triple right corners out the back. It's very, very fast. So like fifth gear in an Audi. So in a supercar, that's going to torture the rear tyre. So it's going to be interesting to see how that, that plays out. I think the circuit will lend itself to fantastic supercar racing. Uh, there's plenty of passing opportunities. Uh, there's some real setup challenges, I think, here. So, um, yeah, we'll all have to um, have our wits about us when we come back in August. Now, there have been pundits out there saying that this is the best track in Australia, best permanent track in Australia. I mean, we've still got Phillip Island, um, and uh, that's a pretty good one too. You know, just rank uh, up there near it? Or... I think it's unfair to compare it. Right. Each circuit's got its own characteristics and its own unique uh, brand, if you like, and, and, and Tail and Bend will have its own in time. Uh, the, the amount of laps that I've done on the GP circuit still minimal, so I'll probably form an opinion more uh, after the race today. Yep. I think it's difficult to, to to create opinions after three laps in a GT3 car. Yep, but it's long overdue to have something of this nature, and it's a great oh, issue, it? 100%. Uh, I mean, scarily, the newest permanent-built facility in Australia, national-level permanent-built in Australia, is Queensland Raceway. Yeah. And that was built in 1999. Yeah. And it's certainly not the top 10 facilities that we have in Australia now. So um, it's well, well, well overdue to have uh, this level of investment in a brand new facility. Uh, and look, a lot of people from this weekend will talk about the dust and they'll talk about the wind and they'll talk about you know it not being fully finished here. But you know, give this place two, three years and it, it is going to be world-class. And it already is world-class and you can see it. It's got the right bones about it. Um, but once everything sort of beds in and, and, and this place finds its own place in the Australian motorsport landscape, it's certainly going to be up the top somewhere. Well, enjoy your day, Garth, and we look forward to hearing Cheers. those reports at the end of it. Thank I've got to go. i got to get in the car. There's a man who has been around the paddock for quite a few years and just chat, caught, with, caught up with his father, Rocky. This is Dean Cando. Dean here driving a Lamborghini. Yeah, and uh, why don't I just talk to you about the track? Now, obviously, you were on Thursday on the track. Yes, yeah, I was uh, fortunate enough to be here last Friday, just in the, the first official track day they had, which was the short circuit only. Um, but still, that had the majority of corners or a fair amount for the long track as well. So I had a little bit of an idea of which way it went. Um, although I was a bit bit hesitant after last week because the track was fresh and it was very dusty and it was very low on grip, and I thought, oh, this is going to be a bit of a you know 
a non-event, but um, yeah, first uh, session we hit the long track with the GT cars. The track's a bit cleaner um, with the downforce that we've got. You know, that's a real challenge at long track. Um, pushing the limits for for every driver to try and find the maximum without running off is obviously a great challenge. And a lot of the blind corners, you know, for the gentleman drivers, it would take them some time to to get their head around it. But for a, a professional driver, it's it's a great challenge. You know? There's no corner that is like any other corner on any other track I've been on. So. Um, and you know the track is still evolving a bit. It's still quite dirty on the on the long track. You know it's been a construction site up until basically the other day when we got here. So uh, and there really hasn't been enough rain to wash it clean. So uh, it's only going to get better with time as far as the grip level goes. Um, and it's showing that so far this weekend, even with the, with the usage that we've been using. And we're the only category that was using the long track. So um, yeah, really good challenge. Um, and yeah, thoroughly enjoying every lap that you do around here. It's uh, it's a rewarding track. I spoke to Garth earlier, Garth Hander, about it. Um, the, the triple right right hander, yeah, in, in on the uh, on the long track, yeah. oh, on the short track. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. And uh, he was saying that that's going to be a real challenge for the supercars, keeping a right tyre on and sort of a legal left tyre on. Yeah, look, it's. Um uh, the, the benefit we have this weekend is we're in a car with lots of downforce. So um, while it's still a challenging track, I think for for a supercar, it's going to be uh, pretty tough on the old tyre or the tyres as far as not heating them up. But um, I don't have to worry about that because I'm not racing here in one of them. <laughs> so uh, look, yeah, every track has its challenges, you know. Uh, there's, there's tracks with high degradation. You go to Perth and the tyre wear there is quite high and same sort of thing. But uh, at the end of the day, it's the same for everyone. It's, it is what it is and you, you, the challenge is what you make of it. All right, we'll try and catch up with you after the race and see uh, how events went for you. And, of course, you're still in with the uh, Tickford Racing Group um, and still with Mark. Uh, they haven't decided the, the pairings as yet, but right. uh, I definitely can rule out Chaz because there's just you're no way the two of us can go together. Oh, hang on, <laughs> if and can get together, you know? Uh, yeah, it's, the, obviously you have got that rule with the, the distance yes. the seat insert can be out of the seat. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I would never fit with Chaz unless he stayed in there and he just gave me a big bear hug or something <laughs> like that. But, uh, it's a wonderful line about um, when Pete Gagan was asked, what's it like sharing a car with Alan Moffat? And, and you probably don't know, Pete Gagan had a very dreadful stutter. And he sort of stuttered out. The good thing is that when, when I get in, Alan gets out. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right. And uh, your first run coming up in an FGX this year? Uh, I mean, I did the, the first super test uh, at Sydney. Creek, yep. Sydney Motorsport. Um, just trying to think of maybe co-driver session at Winton might be the first time right um yeah I'm not real sure it, it's one of those things though again because they're gone to another tyre again this year there's yes. no tyre bank um and then those co-driver sessions almost be end up being a waste of time so yeah. fortunate enough I'm with the same team so I know everyone I know the cars yeah. um don't have to get familiar with anything how many so many years have you been in, in Tickford 2008 yeah. when it was for Tickford Racing was the first year I joined them so yeah, alright. Long time. Lot, <laughs> yeah, look, it, it does, especially when you're limited to doing three races with them. And, um, you know, I don't drive those supercars a lot through the year, so um, it makes it a lot easier just to hop in and be familiar with the surroundings. And just briefly on your, your business, you were in the stunt business for quite some years. You're yep. still doing that? No, no more, uh, no more stunt driving for Luke and myself. Um, you know, now we just do the advanced driver training, um, helping a, a few young guys, uh, some in the Helping John McCorkendale in the Kumo series, sort of coaching him, and you know we got quite successful at the end of last year. Uh, going again with him this year, and um, also Tyler Greenbury's asked me to help him in the Super Twos this year. So, you know, if I can pass some information on and uh, help some other young guys that are up and coming, you know, um, I'm sure they'll both benefit enormously from it. So, thanks, Dean Cando, for joining Inside Supercar. We're lucky enough to be joined by Warren Luff, who's down here at the debut of the Bend with his longtime partner Tony Walls and McLaren, run by Andrew McElroy. Um, you're glad to be back in that car, I imagine, to the starting point. Yeah, look, it's it's great to, to be back in the McLaren and great to be here at the Bend. It's um, it's an amazing venue, and I take my hat off to the Shahins for what they've done for for motorsport Australia wide, and also obviously for for motorsport worldwide because obviously they've got big plans for uh, some overseas events that they'd like to try and track here. It's a long overdue in Australia, isn't it? Tracking this size. Yeah, look, it definitely is. It's it's been a long time since we've had a new purpose-built facility built here in Australia, and um, and they've done an amazing job. Obviously. Um, 
the, the V8 supercars will be here in August and um, yeah, it's going to provide some great racing and, and, uh, and again, another much needed track here in Australia. Okay. Um, now you ran around on Thursday on the long track and on Friday and unfortunately yesterday you had qualifying the dust was too much and, and the decision made to run on the short circuit the 4.9 which will be used in the uh, in the supercars meeting in August um, and so now you're running on that track 4.9 yeah look for, from a driver's perspective I suppose we're lucky that we've been able to sample both circuits now so look the, the long circuit is um, very long um, it's got some great sort of um, variations of corners and everything like that um, and now that we're on the on the shorter circuit which is obviously what the V8 super supercars will run in every other category this weekend but yeah the dust over that back section was just really bad especially throughout qualifying and because we were the only category running on that part of the circuit um, it, you'd go out there and you'd have to start cleaning the circuit but the dust was quite bad so yeah as I said I, I, th- I think it's probably in one sense it's a little bit disappointing we're not on the full circuit but as I said we're very lucky that we've been able to now sample both. Okay now there's a, a run of three triple right handers I mean uh, triple corners at a uh, couple of drivers I mentioned to me will be challenging in the supercar? Yeah, look, I, I wouldn't want to come back in the next life as a, a left rear or even a left front tyre on a V8 supercar. Yeah, um, yeah look, tyre management's going to be um, critical when V8 supercars arrive here. Um, but that's, that's again, that's all part of the game. So yep. it, it's going to be a, an interesting challenge for V8 supercar teams. They haven't been on a circuit like this before, um, except for maybe back in the day when we went to Shanghai uh, and you had a lot of long loaded corners there. Um, so yeah, look, it'll be interesting, but again, V8 supercars always put on a great spectacle wherever they go, um, and this event will be no different. Interestingly, they've made the decision to move from a super soft to a soft tyre. Yeah, look, I think that's probably going to be the right decision, as we spoke about. This circuit's going to be very, very hard on tyres, so tyre tyre management's going to be very, very critical, uh, and you're going to see a huge amount of tyre degradation, so car setup and everything is going to be very important. All right, now you're doing the whole of the endurance series with Buddy Walls? Yes. Your next event is Uh, Yeah, I think Phillip Island, yeah. So, um, yeah, look, it's it's great to get a bit more seat time, obviously, in the lead-up to the V8 supercar endurance races. So, yeah, being able to partner Tony in the McLaren, we've been doing it for a few years now. Obviously, we had the 12-hour at the start of the year as well. For me, it just enables me to keep that little bit sort of uh, race fit and that little bit sort of uh, race sharp when it comes to enduro time. Thank you so much, Warren Love. Good to have you again on Inside Supercars. Thanks, mate. Tony, one of the things I wanted to get your opinion on is what's it like as a racetrack? we saw the GT race, but GT racing on a, on a big track like that is inherently set up for, uh, you know, fastest cars gets to pull away and unless there's constant safety cars, the field doesn't necessarily stay together. And that's a little bit of what we saw in that endurance race. So what was the racing like when you sat back and looked at it across the other classes? Well, the, the track does appear to have similar problems to many modern tracks in that there don't appear to be any passing opportunities as you'd hope. Um, I mean, it's amazing the way in which the old-time tracks of Bathurst and Phillip Island, uh, you know, are are tremendous tracks because they have so many passing opportunities. Uh, You know, the Herman Tilke tracks uh, around the world uh, have the same problem. It almost appears that you need to have either a car or tyre advantage in order to make those passes. But as we saw at the weekend, Daniel Ricciardo is one of those drivers that can make the opportunities come up. Um, so I think that you know the track will show it in time. It's going to be a track that challenges. Now, a large number of the drivers at the weekend, of course, are amateur drivers. They're not the professionals. They're the people who enjoy uh, racing for a for a hobby, not a not a business. Uh, a number of the professionals I spoke to were a bit critical of it, but most of them said that they enjoy driving on and there are challenging aspects to the track. And I think that uh, the, the dust on it will calm down once there's grass, so that will improve it. There's plenty of opportunity to see the track. There's some elevation points and there's plenty of places around the track where the uh, spectators can go to to watch the cars in different corners and that's a rather nice thing that that doesn't happen a lot of our tracks of course mm. as you well remember um tracks like Oran park have disappeared and that was one that you and i both would have enjoyed enormously being able to walk around the track and see cars at different uh, 
angles and, and aspects uh, around the uh, seeing that happen. Because that's one of the things but that has interest me, interested me with uh, the uh, proposed track at Rockhampton, which has continued to get, get up steam and uh, the Rockhampton City Council have put out some track maps. And what I'm seeing is corners, double corners in the same direction rather than left, right, left, right, left, right, all up and down, where as soon as you get on the inside, you're on the outside for the next corner and you, you're buggered. Uh, and so the Rockhampton yes. track, looking at that, there's been a lot of thought about, well, if the guy gets inside on this corner and has a chance to uh, make a move, he then has the advantage at the next corner to hopefully complete the pass. And I think that track, yeah. to me, looks very uh, looks like a very, very uh, good track with potential for being a, a racing track. Uh, whereas, yeah, the Tilky ones, why he insists on having left turn, right turn, left turn, right turn, which almost yep. uh, stops the pass before it even starts. It's one of the things I don't like about um, uh, Phillip Island is left, right, left, right, and it's the problem with the staircase at Clipsal and, and the, uh, yes. the run down the hill at Newcastle. If you, go, if you get on the yes, inside, yes. you're on the outside next time and you're screwed, um, unless, you can, yes, unless you have yes. such a tired advantage like we saw from Daniel Ricciardo in China. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, look, it, uh, it's certainly going to be a great track and a facility for a whole bunch of other reasons, not just motorsport, for all the, the needs of drivers, that being for, for taking car launches, driver training, police training, all these things, there is a pent-up demand for it. In the same way, just talking of, of uh, Rockhampton, I mean, I think we're going to clearly see uh, when that track, not if that track, but when that track opens that it'll be the same sort of thing that happened to a Darwin, uh, a Newcastle, where there's such pent-up demand uh, for watching some motorsport that it'll have success and that it'll be ongoing for some years to come, as compared with, say, what happened at Homebush, where it really died on the vine. Mm, yeah, indeed. So, Inside Motorsport uh, has been going for 20 years, Craig. You were going to tell me about some of the things that are coming up for... Uh, celebrating that that uh, moment. Yeah, this week my final thought is uh, Inside Motorsports, 20 years online. We've been going for 24 years from memory. Uh, it's, it's a damn long time when you uh, think about it. But we've just got uh, all the shows that were uploaded to the Auto Channel, which was uploaded uh, in Windows Media and Real Audio. People might remember those formats. And uh, you can't play them on many of the players these days. So we've re-encoded them to MP3. And over the course of the year at sportradio.com.au and on the uh, Inside Motorsport, on the Sport Radio podcast, I should say, uh, we're going to be replaying shows from 20 years ago, starting this week. And interestingly enough, although the calendar has changed so many times, 20 years ago um, on the 20th of April was the Sunday night of the Phillip Island round of the then-new supercar series. Uh, 20 years ago, we had the battle between the 2-litre and the 5-litre series. We also had, in the 5-litre series, a battle between tyres. And the two championship contenders of the year, Craig Lowndes on Bridgestones in his Holden Racing Team Commodore and Russell Ingall on Dunlops in his Perkins Engineering Commodore. And throughout the year, we have a number of interviews with Craig Lowndes, with Russell Ingall, talking about how the year's going. But talking about that tyre battle between the two, and interestingly, coming up later in the year, because we're going to release the show on the date of the original release date, 20 years later, on, uh, on or about uh, November, we have the press conference and the announcement of Bridgestone becoming the sole tyre supplier from 1999 onwards. So uh, how things have changed. Now, no-one considers tyre wars or, or having multiple tyres being a good thing for the sport and yet uh, when it first started that was commonplace along with a, a lot more um, components that you could choose from which I, I'm looking forward to when we do catch up with uh, Larry Perkins throughout the year, Tony, because he was always an advocate. Have two components, two brake discs, two tyres, two different wheel hubs, two different uh, pistons that can make up the engine and let the teams go for their go for their own configuration of that to try and get the advantage over the others. 
that was certainly what was happening back then and it's interesting to hear how the conversation around the race meetings was that little bit different. Uh, we also speak about uh, super touring. We talk about NASCAR because NASCAR was still hugely popular at that time, although it was on the uh, decline. So people like Terry Wyhoon, uh, we speak to him a number of times throughout the year uh, about his NASCAR racing. Of course, he's now uh, heavily involved in uh, preparing cars for young drivers coming up through the Super 2 ranks and uh, talk about drag and, racing and, and, and everything Kimo, else. Yeah, yeah so uh, a lot of people probably don't realise that Terry Wyhoon had such a successful Oscar and NASCAR career. Um, so, look, there, there's, there's some things that I'd completely forgotten about listening over the uh, the shows, but every week we're going to play the, the show of that week. And, and for those who don't know Inside Motorsport, it started off in Canberra as a two-hour motorsport program. And what we did, we then condensed uh, and took the best, or what we thought was the best 15 minutes of the show and put it online at the Auto Channel in America. And, uh, yeah, now we're reliving that history from 20 years ago. Well, that'll be uh, a wonderful thing to look back on and enjoy and reflect on 20 years of Inside Motorsport. So that's all from this week's Inside Supercars. Craig, wonderful to catch up with you again and look forward to Phillip Island coming up this weekend. It should be an absolute cracker. With We've had, uh, I think, five different winners in eight races this year. Uh, Craig Lowndes winning his first in some years, taking a pole and a race win on Sunday. And, of course, we've got uh, guys like uh, Scotty McLaughlin uh, due to regain some of his speed that he lost uh, through Simmons Plains. Uh, Jamie Wincup had won on the Saturday. Uh, it would be wonderful to see them all getting back to Phillip Island where there will be some red-hot racing with Craig Lowndes, a track that he has won lots of times in the past. So that's it from Inside Supercars from me and from Craig. Good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.